The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Good morning. That song is amazing. It's written by uh, Keith Getty, and he's kind of like Charles Wesley in the way that he writes songs because they're filled with theology. Uh, John and Charles Wesley believed that the best way to, to, for, for the saints to learn theology was to sing it. And so their songs, Charles Wesley's songs, are filled with theological truth. That is the teachings of Scripture. And if you notice in this song that we just sang, if I can go back here just a little ways, this is describing the cross of Christ, him suffering in our place. This is a strange truth to people outside of Christianity that we are always talking about blood and the cross and so forth. But what we're talking about is the substitutionary death of Christ for his people. The greatest act of love, the Bible says, that has ever taken place in history. So notice this. This, the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, this is what happened. The Father caused the Son to become sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So that our standing before God when we believe on Christ, receive him as Savior, is that we stand in absolute perfection in the eyes of God. And in fact, in Romans 6, one of the things we're going to talk about this morning, in Romans 6, uh, Paul, the very first commandment in the book of Romans appears in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Before Paul ever gives a command of any kind, it's six chapters into it, six and a half chapters, and he finally gives a command. And that command is that you should reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God because of your identity with Christ. And, and then he says, the next command is, so therefore, uh, know it, believe it, count it to be true, and then act upon it. Come to me. Uh, he actually t- says we're supposed to present ourselves to him with great confidence that he wants us to come because he has bought us with the blood of Christ. And so we are precious to him. Uh, he loves us. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? That God loves you. There's a, there's a line in the song, he's a good, good father, in which uh, the guy that wrote that, it wasn't, it, it wasn't um, the guy who sings it all the time, but a a guy whose name I forgot, is from Georgia, wrote this song, and in it he says, I've heard all these stories of what people think you are, who they think you are, but I've heard your voice in the middle of the night when you said, I'm pleased with you. (laughs) I'm pleased with you, and you'll never be alone. That's an amazing truth, you know, that God's love for his people is such that he gives us assurance. It isn't sappy sentimentalism, it's the truth. That when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, God clothes him in the righteousness of Christ, and we are always welcome at the throne of grace. We can, whenever we come to the Father, he takes great delight in it, and he invites us to come. Now, I want to read to you out of Luke chapter 10. This is where we are now. In Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, if you'll follow along with me. Now, let me move this ahead. We want to see how in this passage, these are great illustrations of how God's love transforms his children, his love for us, in his relationship. In this relationship we have with God, God, the way that he loves us, impacts us in a deep and profound way. It changes us. And listen to these two stories in this part of the book of Mark. In beginning of verse 25 of chapter 10, it says, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Well, you say, well, that's what lawyers do. Now, this lawyer here, the word lawyer means he's an expert in the law of Moses. And it says here that the way he's doing this is he's testing Jesus. He he stood up and and put him to the test, put Jesus to the test. He wants Jesus to look foolish. And so he, he asked him this question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Because Jesus had been teaching and the Bible teaches First, uh, all of you know, all you disciples know, all you people who've been disciples know, First John 5, 11, and 12, that you receive eternal life when you receive Christ because eternal life is in Christ. This man is asking a question, how can I inherit eternal life? Has anybody ever asked you that? How can I inherit something? 
Well, the way to do that is to become somebody's child, right? You have to be their child in order to inherit anything from them, typically. And so he asks them this question. Jesus answers with a question. That's always safe to do when you have somebody trying to test you. And so Jesus says to him, what's written in the law? This guy's a lawyer. He is an expert in the law of Moses. And so Jesus asks him, well, what does the law say? How does it read to you? And here's his answer. He answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you're to love your neighbors yourself. All the Jews understood that the entire law hangs on these two commandments. The first commandment here that he gives us, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is out of Deuteronomy 6. It's a part of what's called the Shema of Israel. That is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second commandment, you shall love your neighbors yourself, comes out of Leviticus 19. I love Leviticus 19 and what it tells us, so practical, it says, you can be angry with your neighbor, it's okay, but you can't hate him. In other words, you have to love your neighbor, even though there are going to be times when your neighbor is going to make you angry. What, notice what Jesus does then. He says, this man said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I'll explain in a minute. Jesus isn't, what Jesus is doing is telling him, go and do it, and he knew that he could not go and do it. It was to bring him to the place where he recognized his absolute weakness and lawlessness and his need for a savior and salvation. And then verse 29, but wishing to justify himself, the lawyer, is wishing to adjust for himself. He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Like that's going to really fool him. And then Jesus replies with a parable. He tells a story. He tells a story to make a point. And the point he's making for this man is important because he doesn't understand it yet. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's away from Jerusalem down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it says, and he fell among robbers. This, this place was called the, the road of blood. There was so much robbery on this road. It happened all the time. And it says, he fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road, coming from Jerusalem, probably having served his duties as a priest. And when he saw him, this man laying there half dead, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, who was a priest's helper. A Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. You get that? He felt compassion, this Samaritan. Now, you need to understand before we go any further that a Samaritan in the eyes of a Jew was the most despised people on the face of the earth. In fact, the Pharisees called Jesus a Samaritan. And what they meant by that, you're the product of an illegitimate relationship between your mother and a Roman soldier. They were despised people. But the Samaritan, it says, who was on a journey, came, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. That was the typical first aid kit when you were traveling, wine and oil. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will pay you. Which of these, Jesus says, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer says, the one who showed mercy toward him. So he felt 
compassion and he showed mercy. And this lawyer recognizes this. And then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. It isn't hard to find a neighbor to love. Now, as they were traveling along, here's a second story. As they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, and we assume this is Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to every word he was speaking. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him, that is up to Jesus, and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, (laughs) you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. This passage reveals, I think, some things that are so important for the Christian as we live our Christian life. And that's understanding how God is at work in our lives and who he is in our lives. The way that I read the Bible reveals my heart. And it reveals your heart the way you read the Bible. If my heart hasn't been set free by the gospel, then I'm going to miss some really important things in the Word of God. As an example, in our passage today, if my heart is controlled by my desire to find the, the right formula for really being a good Christian, then I'm in big trouble. If I think the Scripture is kind of a how-to book or an instruction video... You know, you can go on YouTube and you can find an instruction video on how to repair your dishwasher. And some people read the Bible that way. But that's not what the Bible is. That's missing the whole point of the Bible. If I trust this parable that I just read to you as instructions for how to inherit eternal life, I'll miss the whole point. This isn't a how-to YouTube by Jesus, posted by Jesus with a thousand hits. That's not what it is. This story is told so that this lawyer, this expert in the law, could be shocked by the fact that the only way to inherit eternal life is to become a son of God. The really, this, this kind of approach where I think that This story tells me something about how to do this or how to do that. It misses the whole point. What Jesus is doing is answering the question of a skeptic who wants to trip him up, and he's forcing him to see how supernatural it is to become an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You see, what he needed was a savior, not a coach. A lot of people come to church because they want, they want a coach. They want somebody to tell them how to live in a way that will bring, you know, productive things in their life. They want religion. But this isn't designed to do that. It's designed for all who hear to feel the impossibility of ever becoming one of these apart from the transforming power of God. It's to cast us upon God is to make us feel a deep and profound need for God to do a work in our hearts and lives that we can't do ourselves. We are shipwrecked on God, as Vance Abner said, and stranded on omnipotence. We have, God must work in our lives to make us what we must be in order to experience salvation now and throughout eternity. The second story is the same way, the story of Mary and Martha. This isn't an instruction video on how to become like Mary. Instead, it is a shock to our system so that we throw ourselves on the grace of God and receive the gift that only God can give us through faith in Jesus the Savior. In both cases, in both of these cases, in both these stories, it's a revelation that nothing less than the transforming power of God can make us what we must be to be truly saved in the full sense. A lot of Christians think that, especially those of us who believe that salvation is once and for all, 
some of us think that for us to talk about you needing to to experience the power of God in your daily life to live for him is legalism. No, that's not legalism. That's the grace of God. God saved you not just so that you wouldn't go to hell. He saved you so that you would, you would not only go to heaven, but you'll experience heaven now. That is a relationship with a living God. Now, when you, when you, if you go back and read this parable of the Good Samaritan, what you realize here is, is what Jesus is telling is an impossibility for me in my flesh. I don't know if you've ever walked to the other side of the road when you saw someone in great need. I have. And I assume all of you have at different times. I don't want to get entangled in this. Why is this guy so supernaturally affected by seeing a man who was beaten and left to die? It was because of the kind of man he was. And what Jesus is describing is a person who acts like a son of God. I, I, uh, I should clarify something. There's a difference between cause and effect, right? And so when we talk about good works and faith, we're talking about two different things. Faith is the cause, and good works are the effects. When I say good works, I'm using it to describe what you saw in this parable. This man feeling compassion for this man who had been laid by the side of the road to die, and then showing mercy to him, actually doing something for him, which was costly for him. But, but we can be so tempted to turn to the, the good news of the gospel into good advice. Uh, Jesus doesn't give good advice. He, he, is the, he is the good news. That's what gospel means. He is the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done. And what Jesus, because of what he has done, how we can receive the salvation that God wants to give to everyone. You know the ABCs of the gospel, right? A is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. And then, but God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's 1 Timothy 2.4. And then third, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's, that's Acts 2.21, the Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. That's the basic structure of the gospel that we give, is that we are sinners, just like everybody else in the human race, and you, you don't even have to read the newspaper to discover that. Just pay attention to what's going on in your life. We live in a world that's filled with lost people, far from God. All people are lost. But God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And Peter says, what we have to do is believe the gospel and call upon the name of the Lord. That's a shorthand for saying to believe what God has done in Christ and then to approach him and ask him to receive this gift that Christ has accomplished for us. And the result will be, he will begin, he will give you salvation and in that salvation will begin to change your life. What we should not do, though, is think this is religion. If we start acting like the Good Samaritan, we'll become a Christian. No, that you got it backwards. If you become a believer, if Christ comes to live in your heart, you're going to experience changes in your heart. You're going to start loving people you didn't love before. You're going to start feeling compassion that you never felt before. Because... It takes the work of the living God to work this change. Just in case you didn't recognize Jesus in this story of the Good Samaritan, let's read uh, John 8, verse 42. Chapter 8, verse 42. Listen to this. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I, will, I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. The Father sent him. Now, Romans 5 says that that was a manifestation of God's love for us, that he sent his son into the world to die for our sins. Why do you not understand, he goes on, what I'm saying? 
It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he, speaks to, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. It's a manifestation of his own nature when he lies. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He's talking about the devil. But because I speak this truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He was of God, hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, get this, do we not say rightly, this is, this is their common attack on Jesus, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? You see, Jesus uses this Samaritan because he was what every Jew considered to be someone they would not ever have as a neighbor. And yet he turns out to be the good neighbor because of how he responds to this situation. Well, this is kind of like Jesus. They called him a Samaritan because they hated him. But notice what this man does. He had compassion. This, this word, uh, compassion, is used about 20 times or so in the New Testament. The verb is used 12 times. 11 of those times, it's used of Jesus. Jesus felt compassion. Compa- the word compassion comes from a funny Greek word, stoikna, or stoiknon, and what it means, your guts. You know what guts are, right? That stuff deep down inside of you. And so this was the word they used for feeling compassion. When you feel it way down deep inside, you feel, you feel compassion on somebody who's suffering. And you wish there was something you could do for them. And it's normally used of Jesus. So this Samaritan, who was hated because he was a half-breed, he was half-Jewish and half-Assyrian, and they had started their own religion because the Jews rejected them. And so he was hated. It was like saying an imam came walking down the street and helped this evangelical Christian. And so they didn't like what they were hearing But this man was acting like a son of God. Jesus acts like a son of God because he is eternally the son of God. We become sons of God when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and it begins to have impact on our lives because God's love for us changes us. It has impact on us. So this man felt compassion, and then he showed mercy. So he felt compassion... And he showed mercy by taking care of him, and then he paid the cost. Does that sound like Jesus? He felt compassion. We're told that compassion is the motivation of the Father sending his Son into the world, because he felt compassion on this human race. Jesus came, and he showed mercy on us by paying the price for our deliverance. And that's what the Samaritan did. He paid the cost. He was willing to pay in order to deliver and save this man who was half dead. He met the need by paying the price. And what's clear in this story is that the Samaritan is the good neighbor. He would be the most hated person that these people ever heard of because he was a Samaritan, but he was a good neighbor. He showed mercy. He was like Jesus is because he's the son of God. Why are believers the way they are? Why has God changed you so much since you came to faith in Christ? Why does he make you care for people the way that you catch yourself caring for people? Because we are all sons of God when we put faith in Christ. John chapter 1 verse 13 says, Uh, Jesus came into his own things, that is the creation itself. He spoke it into existence. But he says, his own people, that is the Jews, did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. By the way, that's a great definition of what saving faith is. It's receiving Christ. 
for who he is. That's how we get saved, by receiving Christ. And when we receive Christ, he begins to live within us. The Bible says we are sons of God. And God not only has Jesus living in us, but he says he sends the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That is, the Holy Spirit motivates us to realize that God is our Father now. And he wants us to treat him like he is our Father. He invites us to come, to appear in his presence, and know that we have free speech, free access, and free speech. I hate to do this to you, but look back, because we're in John, look back to chapter 1. I want to show you something in that that passage. In verse 14, which follows the fact that those who received him became the children of God, he says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, the eternal Son of God. They saw him in his humanity. And we saw his glory. In fact, they saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration when he, his glory was absolutely exposed to them. And he's full of grace and truth. And so when Jesus is unveiled for who he is and we receive him, we enter into this relationship with God whereby we are called sons of God. And a son of God is, um, means a person who has a kind of relationship with the Father that he manifests the reality of who God is in the very way that he lives. We are sons of God. We have a, we have a position, a standing before God. Sons of God. You know what refrigerator rights are? That's when your kids leave home, get married, leave home, but when they come back home, they go right to the refrigerator and open it up and they think they can take every, anything out of there that they want. All my kids act like that. They're all married. They have their own homes. They have their own refrigerators. But when they come to our house, they have no problem at all opening the refrigerator to see what's there and what they want. That's what the Bible says about us when we come to the Father. There's no verse that says, when you come to the Father as his child, be careful not to ask for too much. Have you ever asked for too much? Now, no doubt you've asked for things that you didn't receive from the Father because he's wiser than you and me. And so sometimes we ask him for things and he doesn't give it to us. But because of our confidence in him and because we're sons of God, we recognize that what God does is he does what is very best for us. He's conforming us into the image of Christ. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Uh, I'm not changing the gospel to what's called the moral influence theory of the atonement. That, what that means is, this is what Jesus did. He suffered and died to give us an example of how committed to God we ought to be. That's not the gospel of the New Testament. The gospel of the New Testament is Christ came into the world and stood in our place and suffered the penalty that was due us, and he absorbed the entire judgment of God for our sins. And when we receive him by faith, our sins are gone. We used to sing this song in Sunday school when I was a kid, gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. That's a good song to remember. It's true. Our sins are gone when we believe on Jesus, but not all of our problems. Because God wants us to grow. It's like any parent. They don't just lavish everything on a child except love. But what they want to see is them to grow up. And God wants us to grow up spiritually. He doesn't want us to be what, what Paul calls inarticulate babblers. Like we don't know the gospel. We don't know what the Bible says. We don't know who Jesus is. We don't know who the Holy Spirit is. He doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to get desperate enough that we come to the word of God seeking truth for our lives. And so, there are times he keeps us in the dark. Now, what I'm getting at here is that the love of the Father is the cause of Jesus coming into the world to save you. This is what the Bible says. There are some people who have taught in the past 
that God hated us, but Jesus loved us, and he came to the world and died for us so that God would love us. That's not the Bible. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it was the Father's love for us that sent Jesus into the world. Or as Romans 5, 8 says, God is continually testifying, assuring us of his love because he sent his son to die for us while we were yet sinners. So God's love for us has been established. You won't experience that love until you receive Christ. That's when you experience it. In fact, I can understand some people, they don't want to come to Christ in public because they're afraid of what will happen. They might break down and weep. And you know how horrible that is to ever be touched with emotions in the front of other people. And that may happen to a person when they receive Christ. Because it's an amazing reality that God loved you so much he sent his son in order to abolish the debt that you had that you could never pay, the guilt that you had that you could never make right. And so he sent his son to do that. Now, the second part of God's love for us is that he, it is his love that is transforming us. It's the love of God that is transforming us. The reason that you are being transformed is because of God's love for you and by God's love for you. Here's the problem. You, cannot, you will never experience transformation if you don't get close enough to the Father that you actually experience his profound and deep love for you. Now, the way you experience it primarily is this. You come to the Word of God and you discover what God has said about his love for you and how he manifests it. And then what's going to happen to you, once you learn what the scriptures say, you're going to hear songs that are going to touch your heart very deeply because they're, they're melodies and words written to celebrate the fact that God loves you. And the more that you understand his love for you, the more you get changed by his love. And that's what these two stories are, are telling us very clearly. Knowing the gospel will renew your value system. That's what the second story is about. You begin to value the good part more than, you know, the other part. You know the part where you want people to be impressed with you or to like you? And so that's the part you love. You always loved, like, you, you can see this in Martha. Martha was working like a slave, and she was mad at her sister because her sister was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to truth coming out of his mouth. Mary loved the good part, which anybody should. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing him teach the truth of the gospel of the kingdom of God to people? And so Mary, that's where she wanted to be. Martha wanted to be respected, loved, held up in high esteem because she was working her fingers to the bone to make sure everybody's needs were met. Now, sometimes we can get to the place where we think that's what the Christian life's about. The Christian life is about serving God, serving Christ. Now, we serve his people because we serve him. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to come and lay ourselves before him and experience the better part. There's a song. I want to quote this song. It's Stephen Curtis Chapman's song, I Want to, be much, I want to Make Much of You, Jesus. Okay, here it is. This is a song. Listen to these words. Stephen Curtis Chapman singing this. He said, How could I stand here and watch the sunrise, follow the mountains where they reach the sky, ponder the vastness and the depths of the sea, and think for a moment the point of it all is to make much of me? Have you ever stood up above Half Dome in Yosemite and looked down in the valley? It's astounding, isn't it? Did you ever look down there and say, man, I am really magnificent? That's only in uh, video games. He goes on, he says, cause I'm just a whisper and you're the thunder and I want to make much of you, Jesus. I want to make much of your love. I want to make, I want to live today to give you the praise that you alone are worthy of. I want to make much of your mercy. I want to make much of your cross. I gave you my life. Take it and let it be used to make much of you. 
Not long after he wrote this, his son accidentally ran over his little daughter and killed her. And then he went on this tour with his son, and they gave testimony about how God brought him through this. And he made much of Jesus in the worst tragedy I've ever heard. It was horrible. You see, he understood that the purpose of all things is the glory of God. And the reason God wants you to grow is so that you can glorify him in your life. And this is what Mary actually understood. She understood the most important things she could do. The most helpful thing she could do was to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him proclaim the truth of the gospel of the kingdom of God. She was listening to the king. Where can you do that? Well, you have a Bible, right? You want a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'll give you a Bible. Because in the Bible, you can hear the teachings of Jesus and about Jesus that will completely and radically transform your perspective of what's important. Knowing the gospel will renew your value system. You'll choose the good part. Good, the word good is one of the attributes of God. Uh, when we teach through a theology proper at the seminary, one of the, we spend a couple classes just on the goodness of God. It means that he is perfectly good, therefore everything that comes out of him in his dealings with us is good, and it makes us happy. God is a happy God, the Bible says, because he's good. And what he produces in our lives is good. I got another song I want to quote to you. You remember um, Gloria Gaither wrote a song, uh, I Am Loved. Remember that? Some of you remember that. You know who Gloria Gaither is. I am loved, I am loved. I can risk loving you. In other words, when you come to realize and recognize how you have been loved by the Father, you will be able to love other people freely. It's amazing how it will set you free. It'll set you free to love people. When you're having trouble loving people, it's because you're not receiving the love of the Father for you. The only cure for depression, sadness, is to come to know the truth about God's love for you. Now listen to this. This is a song. Here's what it says. He's, it, right, it's the lyrics go, he's a good, good father, and so forth. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell me you are pleased, and that I'm never alone. Now, let me ask you something. Be honest with yourself. Do you think God is pleased with you? You know, sometimes I ask that question and force people to answer it, and I find that most Christians don't even understand that God is pleased with them. Why would he be pleased with you? Well, because of what Jesus prayed in John 17. You remember John 17, the Lord's Prayer? Not the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. This is what the Lord prayed when he prayed for you in in, uh, John 17. So I might as well have you turn there. John 17. I just noticed that my brother is here who loves to turn to passages. So uh, look at John 17 for just a second. This is, this is called sometimes the priestly prayer of Jesus. It's when he prays for us. Listen to these words. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. He was about to go to the cross. The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Jesus saw it going to the cross for you. This is amazing to me because it's true of me too. Jesus takes it that going to the cross to save me and you would glorify the father. Isn't that something? That's amazing. And then he goes on and he says, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that know that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, 
that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's why he gave you eternal life, so you can know him and know the Son. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He was with the Father from all eternity. He says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words in which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed them, that you sent me to them. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world. That is, he's about to leave the world. And yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. We're one the way the Father and the Son are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, except the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. That's Judas. But now I have come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For, the, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, that is, those who are with him, but for also for those who believe in me through their testimony. That's you and me, all believers in the world today. He said, I'm praying for them, that they all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them. Look at this. That you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Do you get that? Believer, he says, what he says here is, I know that you love these, these people who come to me in faith the same way as you have loved me for eternity. Is that ridiculous or what? That God loves you as much as he loved his son? Is that amazing or what? It's, it's glorious that God loves his people who have believed on Christ in the same way that he has loved his son and manifest his love towards his son. Now, so what is that going to produce? It's going to produce change in us. This song goes on and it says something like this. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. I'd like you this week to think of this. This is who you are. You are loved by God. I'm not talking about the sappy sentimentalism that goes around the world. Everybody's loved by God. You're loved by God because you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he came to live within you. And the Father loves you. And he says, that's who I am. This songwriter says, that's who I am. I'm loved by God. And you know who he is? He's the one who loves us. He's a good, good father. And he has loved us in Christ Jesus. Romans 6 reveals God's perspective of you, believer. If you want to know how God feels about you, all you got to do is read Romans 6 carefully. And it tells you there what he believes is true about you. That is that when you, were, you came into union with Jesus Christ, you died to sin, which means that your relationship with your sinfulness is dead and gone. 
and he made you alive with Christ. So your old master was sin to whom you used to serve, but now you have died to sin and now you're alive to God. And he says, this is my commandment, that you know this, that you reckon it to be true, count it to be true, and third, that you present yourself to me. That word present, parahistomy, means show up in his presence. Come to him. Talk to him. Use your lips to praise him. Give him thanks for the fact that you are an object of his love. And what will happen to you is his love for you will transform you. In fact, you'll be like Mary. You'll choose the better part. You'll choose the part in which you can feast on the reality of who Christ is. That's what he wants to do in your life. The Father's love will always lead us to choose the good part. I'm talking about the Father's love for you. Now, this is the Christian life. It's learning to live in the love of God. By that, I mean to live within the sphere of his love for you. Now, you have to, you have to decide to do that. Jude, verse 20, it says this. It, let me put it and paraphrase it so that you can see how it fits together. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. What he means by that, clearly in the context, is Keep yourself right smack dab in the middle of God's love for you. How do you do that? Well, he tells us. He he tells us as a community, there's three things we have to be doing. Number one, we have to be building one another up in the most holy faith, which is talking about what he's revealed of himself in the word of God. So we build each other up in the most holy faith. Secondly, we pray together in the Holy Spirit which means a whole lot more than praying in some other language. It means praying empowered by the Spirit as he moves our hearts for each other. So build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Build one another up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit together and then encourage each other as you wait for the mercy of God in the person of Christ's second coming. Rejoice that Jesus is coming back. This is why we should be singing songs about his coming. It's because we rejoice in that. Jesus is coming. And so as we build one another up in the most holy faith and pray together as community in the spirit and we encourage each other that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. We should never get to the place where we love this world so much that it would be a disappointment to us if Jesus came today because I got something really important to do next week. And so we can agree as brothers and sisters in Christ, the best thing that could happen this week is that Jesus would come back and bring his righteousness to bear upon this world. So he wants us to keep ourselves in the love of God and that's how we do it. He's talking to us as a group there. This is what we should be doing. We should be talking to one another. We ought to be having table conversations about who we are in Christ, who God is, what God has done in Christ. We must talk to one another, encourage each other, build up one another, and then pray together, and then encourage each other. Hey, I don't need no emails telling me the world's falling apart. I already know that. Send me an email about the coming of Jesus. Don't forget he could come today. If you don't have, send me that email. Don't forget he could come today. He may be coming to set us free today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Amen. And so we need to encourage each other in this way. That's how we keep ourselves in the love of God. Remember when Mary said, she says, uh, when Martha tells Jesus, you know, don't you care? My sister isn't helping me. And Jesus replied in verse 41, Martha, Martha. This is Martha telling him this. He says, you are worried about and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You know something I've discovered? I've discovered something in my old age. All that stuff I learned 
as I was going through the Christian life is vital and glorious truth that thrills my heart every time I think about it again. That's why I like to sing old songs because it reminds me of these truths. And, and if, you will, if you will plant yourself in the word of God and get this stuff in your heart, I can promise you without fail, if you get it in your heart, when you get old and crotchety, God will fill your heart with joy because of what you're remembering about what he's done for you in Christ Jesus. He's a glorious, glorious father. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And you're loved by him, and that's who you are. So don't forget that. Choose the better part. Choose to remember the glorious truth about Jesus Christ this week. It becomes so much easier to talk to people about him. Just to talk to people about how glorious Christ is in your life. And you don't have to make up stories. Does he thrill your heart? If he doesn't, then repent and come to the word of God. Get in a group of people that build one another up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit because we are his ambassadors. He's put us in this world, in this place where we, where we live with the people that are all around us so that we could bear witness of the truth of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Stop thinking about how bad the world is and how big the crash is going to be. Start thinking about how good God is and what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. It's immeasurable. It's beyond anything that you could possibly think or ask. Let me pray. Our Father, we are a blessed people. Far beyond what we can even imagine, you have blessed us. And you continue to bless us. And so I pray that today would be a day of rejoicing in who you are. Help us to be so bold that we would talk to one another about the great, glorious blessings of God in Christ Jesus. Father, fill our hearts and our minds with truth and let us celebrate it with each other, we pray. Help us to build one another up in the most holy faith so that we can praise you and live in the great, great blessings of your love for us, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.